Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me in the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 6. We're continuing with our series of the Gospel record of Luke. And even though we're 20 messages in, we're still at the very beginning of this series as we take our time and walking through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as pictured in the Gospel record of Luke. Remember, the Gospel record of Luke shows Jesus Christ as the perfect man. And throughout here, we could see that even though he was God, he was 100% man. And at the same time, he was our example of how we are supposed to live and operate in our life. And in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 6, we see another example that he gives for us about what we should do when we come to some big decisions in our life. If you don't mind, look with me in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 6. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 12. The gospel record of Luke chapter 6 in verse number 12, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in those days that he, that's Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number six? The gospel record of Luke chapter number six, and notice with me at the end of verse number 12. The gospel record of Luke chapter six at the end of verse number 12, it says, speaking of Jesus, continued all night in prayer. Continued all night in prayer. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we come to this important passage and we don't want to underscore or miss the emphasis that you are placing here and that the importance that this passage has. Thank you again that you are the example that we could follow and we could learn so much from you and so much that we could do for you. I'm asking again that you would direct our path. As for me, the best I know how, I reckon myself dead. I die to my desires, my ambitions, my goals, what I would like to see accomplished, and I put them aside. And ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you could do a work in somebody's life tonight, a life-changing work, as they understand what this principle is of continuing all night in prayer, that you would increase all of our prayer life and understand That our prayer life is so often so weak and so pathetic, so anemic. 
And yet we could see so much more get done. So much more wisdom that could be had if we learned to get a hold of you. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now often when we hit this passage, the disciples and the calling of the apostles uh, take center stage. But before he takes time to call these disciples to himself, we can see the example that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us in the idea of prayer. The first thing I'd like to put your attention to is that he was dependent upon the Father. He was dependent upon the Father. Now, we know that Jesus Christ was a hundred percent God. We know that he never set aside his deity. He never ceased from being God. And that he still had all the attributes of God. That he was omnipresent. That means he was everywhere at once and every time at once. He was omnipotent. He had all power. He was omniscient. He knew everything. And yet, when he robed himself in human flesh, he chose to be our example. And he chose that even though he was God, to give the example and be dependent upon the Father. And he gave us this example. So as Jesus Christ is beginning his earthly ministry, he's already been calling disciples to himself. And we know that there was more than 12 uh, followers of him. But at this time, he is choosing 12 out of the midst of the disciples that he is going to put through intense training for the ministry. He's going to spend three years discipling, investing, training, Teaching with the idea that these 12 would be the ones to carry on the work when Jesus Christ died, was crucified, put in a borrowed tomb, rose again the third day, and then ascended up to heaven. That the goal was is that the work would not stop just because Jesus died. But in fact that the work would continue on. And so Jesus Christ, before he called the disciples, before he chose the twelve, knowing that this was going to be an earth-shattering, an eternity-lasting decision, he took time to pray. And not just pray, but the Bible says that he continued all night to pray to God. Now, You say, well, this was a big decision. You know, so many times there are big decisions in our life that we don't realize are big decisions. There are some things that come in our life that we don't realize how much is going to impact us and how much is going to affect us. And sometimes because we don't realize the importance of those decisions, we fail to pray in the first place. And sometimes when we fail to pray, those will have lasting results. The Bible is full of illustration after illustration after illustration of people who failed to pray. And because of that, people suffered. Think back in Joshua's day. That Joshua, as him and the children of Israel are beginning to conquer the land. They have a bunch of people that show up. And they have old clothes on. And they have moldy bread. And they give a story about how they had traveled from so far and they had heard about what God had done and they wanted to know if they would be able to join with them and make an ally of them and the children of Israel failed to pray 
And because they failed to pray and seek God's wisdom, these people deceived them. These were actually people they were supposed to conquer and get rid of. And because they did not and they felt obligated to keep their word, these people are going to end up causing problems for them in the future. Problems that they did not have to go through, but because they failed to pray, it affected a whole nation because they failed to pray. You go to the book of Ruth and you come to a man by the name of Elimelech. And Elimelech said, you know what? We have some hard times here. We're having a famine in the land. And so instead of going to the Bible, he opened up his wallet to page number 20 and said, I think we can make more money somewhere else. And so he went against God's plan and God's will. And he moved to a foreign country that God told him not to go to. But he didn't care what God said. He was in it for the money. And you know that story. That he gained two daughter-in-laws. But he died and his two sons died. And it affected a whole family. Because he failed to pray. So many times we go through this example. And you can go through example after example. You go through Abraham. Abraham who just got backslidden and failed to pray. And decided on his own to move to Egypt. And there when he was in Egypt because he failed to pray. He was scared. Next thing you know Pharaoh is trying to pick up his 50 year old wife. And saying I want to marry her because she's so hot and beautiful. And then when... Pharaoh realized that he, she was married. It caused a lot of problem. You know something else that was picked up because of that trip? A young servant girl by the name of Hagar. And wasn't Hagar going to end up being a thorn in Sarah's side and Abraham's side later on? That all came because Abraham failed to pray. Now we know that there are times that we don't realize how big the decisions are and we fail to pray. But there are some times that we do realize how big the decisions are. And one of the problems that we have is not necessarily failing to pray, but honestly failing to take the time to really pray. Sometimes we get satisfied with a 30 second prayer. Have you ever timed yourself on how long you actually talk to God about one request? Oftentimes it's under 30 seconds. For one small request. That's not enough. To really speak to God. And get his mind. And make sure you're dead to self. Now as Jesus is coming to this big decision. He has to pick 12 people. And he has to pick out the correct 12. And he's not depending upon himself. Even though he is God. He is going to the Father. And depending on the Father to direct them. You say, how does that work? I don't know. I just do know that Jesus Christ is our example. And this is the example that there is a big decision that was a lot bigger than what we should depend upon. And that we need to get God's mind on it. And it takes time to pray. More than 30 seconds. More than 5 minutes. Jesus continued all night to pray on this decision that was going to affect the rest of the world and affect the brand new beginnings of the church that Jesus started. He is picking leadership who is going to carry through and help define and describe what this New Testament church is going to be like through these men. And so Jesus Christ goes to this mountain.
separates himself and continues all night in prayer. Now, the gospel record of Luke takes time to emphasize Jesus' humanity. Because of that, the gospel record of Luke often takes time to record how many times Jesus prays. And all throughout the gospel record of Luke, you'll see Jesus takes time to pray. And Jesus prays here and prays here. And you can see this emphasis as we're looking at Jesus as the perfect man. We're also looking at this man, this Christ man, this God man, who spends lots of time in prayer. And if Jesus who is God, robed in flesh, was our example and chose to be dependent upon the Father and pray, how much more should we be in prayer? Because we don't know as much as Jesus did. We don't know the future. We don't know everything. There's a lot of things that we're missing in our decisions. We must have the mind of God. As we go on, we could see not only that he was dependent upon the Father, But then we could see he decided upon the disciples. He decided upon the disciples. And starting in verse number 13, we have this listing of the disciples. Now remember, the listing of the disciples is listed five times. Each of the four gospel records and the book of Acts. And if you take those records of the the disciples and line them up side by side, you learn quite a bit about the disciples. That's a study for later on. But here, let's actually look at these disciples. Let's hit verse 12 again. And it came to pass in those days that he, Jesus, went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. Now this is all those followers of him at this time. And from those group that had been following him, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Now, the idea of a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. These are people that made a decision to follow him with their life. The idea of apostles carries the idea of sent ones. They're going to be his messengers. They're going to be the sent ones that he has sent out to help reach people and to help to further define and use them to help further define through their teaching, through their preaching, through the epistles, to go out and help define this new life that they have in Christ through the local church. This is going to be an important group of followers. These 12 men are going to change the world. Now, we still learn quite a bit about this. Excuse me. Now, from this group of 12... 11 of these men came from the Galilee area. This Bible doesn't mention it here in this passage, but in other passages. But 11 of them came from Galilee. Now remember that Jesus had set his headquarters in the Galilee area. Remember that we said before in the Galilee area was the backwoods of the country. That they all spoke a little bit different. They all had an accent. They were all uneducated. They all did not speak the proper grammar like the educated people in Jerusalem did. There was only one person from Jerusalem, one Jew of the Jews, one person who looked down at the rest of them, and that of course would be Judas Iscariot himself. He was the outsider, and yet he thought he was the greatest. You said, what Jesus spent all night in prayer, why would he pick Judas? Because Judas is going to be important. He is going to be the one who fulfills prophecy to betray Jesus Christ. But you know that God, Jesus gave Judas every opportunity 
to come to him, to respond to him. And it wasn't because of God's choosing. It was because of Judas's choosing that he betrayed the Lord. But God knew what was going to happen. As we look through here, we can see the natural pairings. With this pairing, we find that there are three groups of four. The three groups of four, again, if you line up each of the, the listings of the disciples, and you can learn quite a bit, and each of these groups of four, each of them had a leader. Peter was the head of the first group, which would include of his brother Andrew, James, and John. That was the first four. Then after that, you had Philip, who was the head of the second group. And with it, you had uh, Philip and Bartholomew, um, Matthew and Thomas. <coughs> and then you would have James, the son of Alphaeus, who was the third group. Now with this, you can see something about <coughs> uh, this group. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 15, Matthew and Thomas. And then we come to James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealots. Now, Simon called Zealots, he actually came from a political party called the Zealots. And the Zealots were radicalized Jewish people who believed in assassination, terrorism, in order to get the Roman government to... Uh, leave and for the Jewish people to be free. So can you imagine this? You have a former terrorist that Jesus has called. What a group. Can you imagine this? Now, what's on top of that is that you have in this group a man by the name of Matthew, who we saw a little bit earlier called Levi. Levi was a publican, a tax collector. He was a collaborator with the Roman government. So imagine this. You have one guy from a political party who was the ultra- free Jew, Jewish, let's get rid of the Roman thing, and they would actually assassinate collaborators like publicans, any Roman official. Then you had someone who actually collaborated and worked with the Roman government. You had people from two different political parties that Jesus said, I want you to be part of my disciples. Can you imagine that they probably had some discussions from time to time? And yet God, Jesus, chose these 12. And these 12 had a change of life. And instead of changing the political climate they lived in, they ended up changing the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus took time to teach these people from different backgrounds, different places, and teach them how to follow after him. Now, someone else that you see here was Judas, in verse 16, the brother of James. Now, you had two Judases here. Judas at this time is a popular name. It was a very popular name. A lot of people named, was named Judas. Today, you wouldn't think about naming your kid Judas. I mean, there's two names that you wouldn't name your kids. Jezebel and Judas. Uh, just off the books. Just not going to do it. But back then, Judas was a very popular name. In fact, in a many of the listings of the disciples, uh, they don't call Judas Judas. They call him by his nicknames, which would be called Labius. Or Thaddeus. These were different names for Judas. Just so that way people wouldn't get confused. Later on, don't you think that he would make sure he wasn't called the disciple named Judas? Nope, nope. Call me Thaddeus. I'd rather you call me Labius. Call me something. Now the interesting thing about this is we see them partner up. That Thaddeus and Labius are nicknames. And both of these names carry the idea of close to the heart. He was someone who was very compassionate, very caring. And guess who his soul winning partner was? The other Judas. 
Don't you think Jesus was pretty wise to get the guy who was very patient with a big heart to work with the unsaved guy who was always complaining and gossiping and having an issue? See, Jesus knew how to line them up. And this is part of that praying. Now you said, all right, well, we have the disciples. What does this do with us? It brings me to the third thing and to the heart of the message here. Carrying the idea here (coughs) that we talked about Jesus (coughs) depended upon the Father. Then he decided upon the disciples. And then we could see this last part. The idea of us learning to pray. Us learning to pray that we're dependent upon the Father. Now as we look and think about teenagers... (coughs) We know that sometimes we are not prepared for the decisions that we have in our life. When you think about teenagers, it's even more so. Teenagers are going to make the biggest decisions of their life within the next 10 years. Every teenager that we have in here, you in the next 10 years are going to make the most important decisions of your life. And if we were to be honest and every adult and parent in here would look at you and say, you're not prepared to make those decisions. What decisions are they going to make within the next 10 years of their life? They're going to decide who they're going to marry. Is that a pretty big decision? Won't that affect them for the rest of their life? And they're not prepared to make that decision. How about this? What are they going to do when they grow up? What job are they going to have? Isn't that going to be a life-changing decision? Absolutely. How about this? Where are they going to live? That's an important thing. Where you're going to live at is very important. How about this? Where are you going to go to church? That is a life-changing decision as well. And you know that most teenagers, in fact, we could probably say all teenagers, are not prepared to make those biggest decisions. But yet they're going to have to make those decisions. How can they make such earth-changing decisions when guess what? They don't have all the information. They don't know where a job is going to take them. They don't know where a spouse is going to take them. You know, let me tell you ladies and gentlemen, when you start to court a guy and get interested in a guy, he's going to have what's called a salesman version. He's going to take a shower He's going to try to kind of look nice. He may even try to be romantic and give you a poem or a flower every now and again. But what he's trying to do is trying to sell himself that he's actually something. When you get married, you find out right away that he's not exactly the guy that he was showing on the salesman floor. Well, then how do I make a decision like that? Prayer. Prayer. And with these life-changing decisions, where am I going to live? What am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to church? You don't want to leave those decisions to your feelings. Because guess what? Your feelings can lie to you. Your heart can lie to you. You don't want to leave those decisions to chance. And you don't want someone else to make those decisions for you. How do you make these decisions? Spending time with God in prayer. Let me tell you that before you marry some guy, ladies, you need to spend more than five minutes praying about it. You know, when you start thinking about what job you should have, perhaps you should surrender and say, instead of trying to find my career, what is God's will for me in my life? 
When it comes time to church, you may say, well, I was raised on drugs. My mom drugged me to church Sunday morning and drugged me to church Sunday night and drugged me to church Wednesday night. But where are you going to go to church when you're no longer drugged to church? That's an important decision. The one that you're going to have to make. How do I make such important decisions? Prayer. Having a relationship with God and learning to spend time with God in prayer. Now you say, what's this idea of praying all night in prayer? Well, this is a concept that sounds like work. That's why most people don't do it. Well, I was at a church of uh, 8,000 and was there for a while. And we tried to have all night prayer meetings. And the most we ever got to an all night prayer meeting was 20 people of a church of 8,000. Why? It's a lot of work. We started to have this prayer meeting fairly regularly. And instead of increasing in numbers, we decreased in numbers. Why? Because it's a lot of work. But you know how necessary it is? What happens when you pray all night? How do you pray all night? I mean, some people can't even pray an hour. I've told our church folks this before, that if I'm ever going to hire someone on staff, one of the introduction questions is, when's the last time you prayed out loud for an hour? Let's pray now. And you'll find out pretty quick if you've ever prayed out loud for an hour. Well, you say, why is that important? Because it's not dependent on us. He needs to know, or she needs to know, can I trust God? Can I get a hold of God? I need God's decisions. What happens when you pray all night? Well, one of the things you learn right away is that your flesh isn't dead. If you try to pray all night, it's going to take about an hour or two to get that flesh to die. Because your flesh is going to go, I don't want to do this. I'm bored. And your flesh is going to rebel. And it's going to fight. And it's going to yell. And it takes about an hour or two just to put your flesh to death. To put it to death. So you can get a hold of God. Now I'm talking about important matters you'll realize how much flesh is really alive if you ever try to pray all night. And it's not until you pray that hour or two and finally put that flesh to death, now you could really talk to God. And part of that dying to self is dying to our dreams and our desires. Now, think about the way that you pray and the way that most of us pray. Let's say that there is a young lady who likes this guy and she thinks that this is the guy. And so normally when she starts prayer, it's normally trying to convince God that this is the right guy and you just want his permission. God, you know how good looking he is and you see his hair and you see his eyes and oh, isn't he great? God, I'm so thankful you brought him in my life. He is so wonderful. And normally it's you trying to talk to God about how great he is. Well, after a while, you'll finally get to the place where you hopefully surrender and say, Lord, I don't want my will in this matter. I want your will. And so if there's someone better, if there's someone else that you have for me to marry, then I die to my right to marry this guy. And I want you to show me the person I should marry. I don't want to waste time and emotions that belong to you. God, you show me the right one. You know what takes a while to get to that place where you're finally willing to say that? Normally, 
let's say that you're getting ready to start a job or you want a job. And so normally you go to God and you convince him, Lord, you know how great it would be to do this job here and oh, how great and wonderful and see all the benefits that would happen if I work there. And you're trying to convince God that that's a good deal. But you know, God doesn't need convincing. God's not the problem, it's us. Finally get to the place, God, you tell me what you want me to do. I surrender You show me your will. You show me. And you know what God can pick a lot better than we can? God can pick your spouse a lot better than you can. Because he knows all the facts. He knows the future. He knows what they're going to be like. You could go through the Bible and look several times before someone got married and God told them about their spouse before they got married. God knows about it all. And he could direct it. And God could tell you what job you should do God could direct you to what church you should go to. Well, when I get out of this church and I'm old enough, I'm going to that church because it's a lot more fun. Do people do that? Absolutely. But do you know that God has a place for you to serve and for you to grow? When God puts people in a church, he's putting them in to put their life and their influence in helping that local church. The Bible says that we're like a building and he knows what parts to put the right place and that God has made you to be a certain part to help some church to be stronger and to make you part of the building. That there is a function that you serve and God knows exactly where you are supposed to fit in and he could direct your path and he could show you. God can direct you. And when we come to these life-changing decisions, it doesn't need to be haphazardly, and it doesn't need to be a five-minute prayer. But in fact, it needs to be a type of prayer where we get, where we finally surrender ourselves and say, Lord, it's not my will, but thine. It's not what I want. It's what you want. It takes time to die to self because... To be honest, when you start praying, you don't even realize how much flesh is involved in your prayers and how much you're trying to convince God that you're right and that he needs to get on board with what you want to get done. He continued all night in prayer. Now again, if I say continue all night in prayer, people have different images in mind. Now, this doesn't involve that there's times that you could stretch out and get to know. In fact, I teach people that when you go to these long stretches of prayer, that this is what you should do. Use the acrostic pray. And that what you need to do is that you, when you're going to have these long stretches of prayer, start with the acrostic prayer. Start with the idea of praise. And what you do is you find a verse in the Bible that talks about praising God. You read it, meditate on it, And then you get to praising God. Don't ask for prayer requests. Don't confess sin. Don't yield. Just praise God until you can't think of anything else to praise for Him. By the way, if you do that, it does take a while. Time will go fast when you start doing this. Just praise God until you can't think of anything else to praise Him. Then I teach people to go ahead and stretch up. Go get something to drink. Go to the bathroom. And then find another Bible verse and then come to the idea. I switch. So we start with um, P-R-A-Y. I tell them to go to the A next. That means to acknowledge our sins. 
to acknowledge our sins. So find something about confessing our sins like 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Find a verse that talks about forgiveness. Then what you do is you don't praise him. You don't ask for anything. You don't yield. But what you do is that you confess every sin that you possibly can. D.L. Moody taught something like this and somebody said, I don't know what sins that I'm supposed to confess. He says, guess at him. I bet you guess right the first time. But go to the place, take your time, don't be in a hurry, but confess everything you possibly can. Get thoroughly right with God. Then stretch out, get a drink, get some water, and then find a verse as we go to R and find something about giving request. God wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear them. And so, give your request. And so, don't praise him. Don't take time to acknowledge your sins. Don't yield yourself. But ask for everything you can, that you can think of. Talk to him. Ask for things. Normally, during this time, if I'm in the church, by the way, I do this from time to time, I'll even walk around the church and I'll pray on the piano. Lord, let the piano player, let him be filled with the spirit. Let him be trusting you and let the music that comes out pleasing to you. Lord, come to the altars. Let people come and make decisions that will change their life and help them to make real decisions. I'll start walking the pews and start touching each pew and think about the families of the people that sit in them and start praying for them. I'll start, you know, I'll find everything. And start praying them. Pray for the offering plates. Lord, bless the offering and bless the things that are in for it. You know, there's so many things when you start thinking about so many things you could pray for. And by the way, when that happens, that's a lot of time. See, when you start doing this and learning this, that time goes quick. You're not saying, an hour, what am I just for? And then you want to all night? You will not be rushing for what to do. There's plenty of things. But you take your time and start requesting. Now, by the way, if you have a certain purpose, this is where you're going to spend a lot of time on it. This is that time here where you just start talking to God about it. And by the way, have a conversation with God. Speak to him out loud and just talk to him. He'll talk back. You say, how does he talk back? Well, as you start talking out loud and start talking to him, he'll start changing the way you speak about it. He'll direct it. Oh, that's, you're right, God. You're right. And you should start going on. <laughs> and then, after you request everything you possibly can, and you spend time speaking about that, 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 that item, then stretch out, get something to drink. Um, <laughs> then find a verse about yielding. We come to the why, yielding. That carries the idea of surrendering yourself. And when you do that, you take time to yield and surrender control for every possible thing. Lord, I give you my eyes that my eyes only look at the things that are pleasing to you. Lord, I surrender my mouth and my tongue that only things that are pleasing to you will come out of my lips. Lord, I give you my mind and I'm asking that only the things that are pleasing to you and my thoughts. Lord, I give you my silver. I give you my gold. I give you my car. I give you my house that only the th that you would use this to be pleasing to you and that the things that are done in here would be glorifying you. Lord, I pray for, I yield 
my goals, my ambitions. Lord, I give you my dreams. Lord, I give them to you. They're yours. You do whatever you want with them. And you yield everything. By the way, by this time, you are feeling pretty close to the Lord. Because you're spending time with him and you're surrendered. And you're allowing God to do what he wants. Now, by the way, when you yield yourself, you should take long periods of silence where you shut up. And God will say, hey, guess what? That too. Yes, sir. And then be quiet. That too. Thank you. I yield that too. That too. And you'll start finding things you didn't even know that you've never yielded before. And be fully surrendered to the Lord. And by this time, God will start directing you. He'll start preparing you. He may not tell you who you're going to marry, but he'll start preparing you to be ready to receive that one. If you could forgive a personal testimony. I remember when I was um, teaching a bunch of 12 to, or 8 to 12 year olds. And I taught them about prayer. And those little guys caught it. And they determined out loud every Sunday morning in class to pray for me to get married. For a year. And I could feel God starting to change me and prepare me. And I started to tell people, I'm going to meet my wife soon. I don't know where she's at, but I could feel, I could just, God's preparing me for it. It was wonderful. Because of what God was doing as I was yielding and surrendering. And so, by the time God said, my wife, I was ready. There was no fighting. It's wonderful when we're surrendered and God just says, all right, now that you're prepared, here you go. We're no longer fighting against God. It's, yay, God, I'm surrendered. This is that idea of praying all night. There are decisions that we need to make that are going to be important. And maybe more important than we ever realize. As we pointed out for teenagers. For teenagers in the next 10 years. They're going to make the most earth shattering important decisions of their life. And if they were to be honest. They're not prepared to make them. Then how can they make them? We have a heavenly father they could speak to. And spend time with. And God could direct them for these important decisions but it takes more than a 30 second prayer it takes more than a five minute prayer it takes this time where you die to self and surrender to him and yield yourself to him and when that happens you are prepared to follow God whatever he says it could be the deepest part of Africa it could be the most horrifying thing and it's no longer horrifying to you because you're surrendered this is what God's given me to do. This is what God wants. And that's what I want. And when that happens, God could easily direct your path. Because you're no longer resisting. You're no longer fighting. Your, your flesh is no longer rebelling. Why don't we sometimes see things done in our life? It's because we spend more time in our flesh talking to God and trying to convince him to see things the way we see it. Instead of taking the time necessary for us to be set out of the way and talk with the Lord and have a conversation with him and allow him to direct our path. So let me ask you, dear friend, do you have an important decision that you have on the horizon? Now the teenagers, let me tell you, you have something important. You have lots of things important coming up. 
But as we move to the adults, is there an important thing, an earth-shattering thing, a, 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 a family-changing decision that needs to be made? Or maybe there's a family-changing thing that someone else needs to make. You know, you can't do much about that pe- person, but you could do a lot of things about this person, about yourself. And sometimes God is just trying to do things in your life so it's easier to direct their path because you're right with God, because you're surrendered, because you're at the place where you need to be. There are some earth-shattering decisions, earth-shattering requests that we have to have answered that will not be done just from a 30-second prayer or a five-minute prayer. There are going to be times that we need to take our time and allow God to be thorough with us so He can direct our path and He can do a work. The question is, is are you willing to do such things? We've moved our prayer time to this end time. And in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And in this invitation, I want you to take your time. Don't get in a hurry. Spend what time you have in the Lord. We'll try to watch things. I don't care if you spend 30 minutes or an hour. If it comes to that place, we'll dismiss people quietly. And whoever's taking time to pray, you stay and pray. You get things taken care of. You get things handled. We want you to have the freedom to disturb. In fact, how about this? In just a moment when we come, we can invite you to the altar. But maybe you want to find your own corner of the church. Maybe there's someone where, where you want to get alone. Maybe in the back nursery. Maybe somewhere else where you could just take your time and, and be alone with the Lord. Do it. Don't get in a hurry. Allow God to spend time with you. Maybe you don't have anything important or hinging right now that you know of. Maybe you just want to take time to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, will you prepare me? Will you allow me to be yielded to you? Maybe you just want to take some time of yielding yourself now. Now again, how much time you prayer you take, that's up to you. But we're giving you every opportunity for you to take as much time as you need and want. So we could see God do some amazing things and prepare our path. Remember, God wants to direct our steps. His His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.